Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Sarah Addison Allen is the author of Other Birds, a novel. Sarah is the New York Times bestselling author of seven novels she calls Southern Fried Magical Realism. She was born and raised in Asheville, North Carolina, where she still lives. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Other Birds, a novel. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. We were just commenting, listeners, that we both have color-coded bookshelves, so it's a very happy Zoom right now. All Zooms (laughs) should look this festive and colorful. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sarah, just let's get the preliminary stuff out of the way. Can you please share what your book is about? Sure. Other birds, it it starts with um, a character named Zoe, and she's 18, almost 19, and she's out on her own for the first time. And she uh, travels to a small island off the coast of South Carolina called Mallow Island 
to take possession of an apartment her mother left her. And it's a very small complex, just um, five units. And that's where we meet all the characters. And Zoe is sort of the opening to the rest of the characters. And she is sort of the conduit in which all these closed off people open up. It's in a larger sense, it's a book about what we hold on to and the secrets we keep and the ghosts we have around us and how to let go of them. I feel like people are literally opening up their doors. I mean, the way you write is so visual. I felt like I was on the stage set of a play, you know, with the different doors opening and the birds and the office and then police come, you know, like it was just so visual and sensory the way you write that like you're literally there. I love that sense of place and the way you do that with your words. I have, it's my brain. It's the way I daydream. I think it is sort of cinematic and I am, I'm, I gravitate to pictures. And when, when I'm asking what were my favorite books as, as a child, it was always, I always, I remember the picture books the most. Of course, you know, I read uh, a ton when I was a kid, but, but the ones I visualized were, were the picture books. And I, in college, I, my senior thesis was on Alain Rogrelet, just because I read a short story of his in which he details a murder, but he does it in slides backwards as if it's a movie going backwards. And that's mm-hmm. stuck in my mind. So I think it's the way my brain works. Wow. Well, it's one thing to have your brain work that way, but it's another to be able to effectively communicate it on the page with language. You know, sometimes that stuff is in my head, especially like if I'm doing like a design project or something like, I'm like, I know I want it like kind of like this, but I don't know exactly how to say that. So. (laughs) Oh gosh. Is that, that, that is the, the, all writers, all writers are like that. How do you take what you see so clearly in your head and, and put it into words? Yeah. to communicate it to to other to readers. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a universal universal problem for writers. Yeah. Writers are really just amazing translators. It's really what it is. <laughs> That's right. We are translators. I'd never thought about it that way. <laughs> so you have had such an interesting career. You launched with a debut New York Times best-selling novel and you've had books translated in so many languages. Talk about having that first big success and then what that kind of did for you going forward and how you maintain that and then I want to talk about, you know, your the medical issues that came up and why you took a break and all of that. Right. Well, Garden Spells Garden Spells was my big break and it, but I was an overnight success. 12 years in the making. It, it took me a long, long time to get published. And my dad was a writer. He's retired. He was a journalist. He was a columnist. And 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 he wrote beautifully and poetically. And but he went to a job every day. He actually, you know, went to a building and wrote, and it was nine to five and he came home. So when I decided after college that I wanted to give this writing career a go, he did not understand. You know, I boomeranged back home and lived with my mom, and I wrote as close to full time as I could possibly get. I did part time jobs and seasonal jobs, and it, nothing was happening. I was writing, I wrote literally dozens of manuscripts. And he kept asking me, you know, well, when are you going to get a real job, Sarah? And so, <laughs> Garden Spells, by, you know, was this huge surprise, and I almost gave up writing. It was the book I came back to after I gave up for a while. And when I was asked what was the best part of being published, my answer was always my dad has stopped asking me when I'm going to get a real job. So it was an amazing time. It was a stressful time. It was a time fraught with with 
anxiety because I was completely unprepared for what it looked like to be a working writer, what it was to promote your book. I was miserable. It was the best time in my life, but I was miserable. I didn't know how to handle it. I cried all the time. I was, I overate. I gained a lot of weight. And, uh, you know, and I had uh, four best selling books in a row bam, bam, bam. And then all of a sudden, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had stage four breast cancer and everything just stopped. My world just stopped. And I, you know, I went through treatment and I'm in, I'm, I was, and, and you know, I, my scans are clear. I'm in remission. And when I came back to writing after taking some time off, I had, you know, I had an entirely new perspective of what it was like <laughs> to walk to that precipice and look at the end of your world. And, and what I saw was not a missed deadline. So I learned how to sort of take things in stride because, oh my gosh, I know what's worse. And so um, I wrote two other books and then took another long uh, part off when my mom got sick and came back with other birds. And losing my mom was a whole new perspective. So each point in my life, every dark blue point in my life has taught me something, not only about myself, but about how to approach writing. And didn't you also lose your sister? I did. I lost my mother and sister within days of each other. Oh, so yeah. I'm so was, sorry. Oh, thank you. It was it was a tough time and I couldn't write my way through it. I, I I had to take I had to take the time off. I couldn't focus at all. Ugh. Can you talk about how they passed away? Is, is sure. It- oh, sure. Um my mom, uh, I had actually started other birds and then my mom had a massive brain hemorrhage Aww. and it left her profoundly brain damaged. And I watched her die for four years and I fell into a, an, an incredible depression. It was, it was, it was like nothing else I've ever experienced because I was losing, I had lost her, but she was still here. And because I was so very close to my mom, she was my best friend. When I moved out, I actually moved next door. So I lived next door to her forever. So losing her on that emotional level was tough. And she she was getting to the end of her life. We knew she, she was in hospice, but then my sister died suddenly. And I was the one who found my sister. And I I remember, you know, no one could find her and she had collapsed in, in the yard and here I'm giving her a CPR and, and then she passes away and then mom passes away. And then there are two funerals in six days. And there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of things to work through and I could not write through it. I couldn't journal. I, I just, I, I, I just had to stop, you know, and I, I, I grief is like this, I don't know, this huge, boulder that sits on your shoulder or your back and it's so heavy you can hardly move and you think that you your life is going to be that for the rest of your life and I thought for a while you know I just don't I just don't know if I can write ever again if it's going to feel this bad forever but eventually what happens with grief is that it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's a pebble about the size of your hand and then you close your hand put your hand in your pocket and you leave the pebble there and you walk around with that pebble for the rest of your life. You still feel it, but it's no longer that way. You always know it's there. And once I got to that point, I could get back into other birds and, and I finished it. And it had a whole new dimension to it because it deals with mothers and it deals with ghosts and you know people who have passed on. And so that's what brought me to this place. A lot of dark, but you know that dark magnifies the light and, and 
with perspective, the, the, the light is so bright, you can hardly stand it. Oh, see, I think it's so amazing that you can go through all that, which is so awful. And I'm so sorry. And yet still go on your website wearing a huge sweater that says happy. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it's like, it's like, okay, I am choosing. You have to really make that a choice. Like that is an active choice that you have to recommit to over and over again to say like, I am going to still have a happy life when so many people who I love are not here anymore. That's hard. That's exactly right. And, 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 you know, I've read bookends. I, I know from, oh. you know, what grief, you know, what grief feels like, and you know, that it's a process you have to go through to get to the other side. And one of one of the most important things I learned is that, you know, you can still grieve and still feel blessed. You can mm-hmm. miss someone and still celebrate a good thing. They, you know, they, they can coexist. How, what were you doing? Like who was taking care of you? How did you get through that? What did you do to get through? I shut down actually. You know, I have I have a very close group of friends. I have my dad, I have, you know, I have my niece. I've got my family and my friends, but I I found out very quickly it's something I didn't know about myself was that I'm not a fight or flight, I'm a freeze. And mm-hmm. I just shut down. I did what I needed to do. But after three days, uh, three hours in a day of, you know, intense doing stuff or, you know, caring for my mom or doing paperwork, I had to sit down and zone out. I could not think about how hard and heavy things were. And of course, therapy came in very handy during this time, but it was just a, it was just a process we have to get through. And, and one of the things we get bogged down in when we're going through something hard is we think it's never going to end. And that, and, and that desolation, that, that sense of despair can sometimes be so hard to get out of, but I, I have learned, you know, through several waves of, of, you know, dark times is that give it time. They don't last forever. Hope, hope is so important. And I, and I try to end every book I, I, I've written on a sense of hope. You did the same with bookends and that just, oh. <laughs> my, my heart swelled with that hope, hope. We need hope. Oh, thank you for reading bookends. That's <laughs> In other birds, the the loss of the mother is you know sort of a paramount feature and sort of re-inhabiting a sacred space from the past and then in the beginning there's a, a death right away like you're you're it's you're in it like you're just marinating in it so to speak so did you go back and write that was that the way it was were you like how did you map your life onto your fiction I, you know, I'm such a pantser when it comes to writing that I, I have an idea. I, I have always, always, I know where it's going to be set. That's paramount. I, I always have to know that the setting almost has to be a character itself. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of build the characters out of that. Opening up the story <laughs> in the very first chapter, one the, the very mean hoarder dies when a bookcase falls on her, which <laughs> every yes. book lover's worst nightmare. Oh I my know. gosh, <laughs> so many books are going to fall on them. But um, that I, I realized early on, when I was writing, first writing Other Birds, is that character had to die in order for the rest of the characters to come together. But she didn't go away. She comes back in the sense of a ghost. And there are several ghosts in the story. We we know we get uh, points of view from the ghosts. It's part of the sort of the magic that run, the magical realism parts that run through the book. So we still get to know her after she dies. Yeah. Wow. And what, like when you are in a, free-flowing, things-are-going-well type of writing 
mode. What does that type of day look like for you? Like even on a good, like on a good day, you so you rebound from this horrific period of trauma and now you're sitting down at your desk writing. Like, are you like paint a picture of it for me? Are you all nicely dressed and made up like you are now? Or like, what are, you know, like, where are you? What does this whole thing look like? Oh my gosh. It's, it is, it is full of a lot of angst and, you know, it, it is, it is constantly fighting the urge to get up and do something that I don't really have to do like laundry. Um, I, it, it is making myself sit down and write and, I, I, and when I was away from writing, I missed it. When I'm back in writing, it's like, oh my gosh, I really missed this. I missed how frustrating it is because writing is hard for me. It's hard to, to make something beautiful because I, and I, I've said this a lot over the past couple of months that it's, and it's true. I am not a great writer, but I am a really great rewriter. The painful part is getting words, even if they suck, onto the page and then you can edit them and then you can rewrite and then you can put the magic in and then you can find that right word you can find that 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 beautiful way of describing something but but the the first draft is always ugly and it's and it's painful and it's just making myself do it i have a home office and this is this is where i work and i, and I treat it as a 9 to 5 job now when i was younger i wrote well into the night i was such a night owl but treating it as a job was a was a big sign of, oh, I, I am, I'm an adult now. Look at me. I'm writing during the day. So <laughs> this is, this is what it looks like for me. It's, it's a job. It's, it, you know, my commute is from upstairs to downstairs, which, you know, saves on gas, but it's a painful process, but it's, I can't not do it. It is so much a part of who I am that even if I wasn't published, I would still be writing something. Wow. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help 
and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. And what about reading? How does reading fit into your life now and always? You know, my, my reading habits changed a lot once I became published. I, because I, I the interesting thing about when you're now being um, asked to read books before they're published for blurbs and things like that. It has opened up this entirely new world of books I never would have read otherwise. And and that's been a a joy, but I I can't write while I'm, I can't read while I'm writing. So I have to, you know, write the book and I have to be in it because sometimes other writers' voices will get in my head and I'll find my syntax changing a little from a book that's really affected me or I've I've really, really liked. But so I, I, I go on binges after I finish writing and and uh, let's see, I, but the, uh, the last book I read was Myra Malone's Minuscule Mansion, which comes out in January. And it's a little stylish, magical realism kind of book. I enjoyed that. But I saw Kevin Wilson's new book came out and I downloaded it and I haven't read it yet because I really enjoyed his Nothing to See Here. Yeah. So um, it's it's all over the place. It, it, you know, I, I don't sit down with a stack of books and read like I used to. Mm-hmm. I, I have to find time to do it, which I think is another adult thing. Sometimes being adult is fun, but sometimes it's just, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't like it. I want to go back to the time where I can just be in a nook with a flashlight and, you know, read <laughs> like what I did when I was a kid. One of my kids the other night, who's very young, was saying how much they did not want to be a grown up, and like literally, <laughs> there were tears involved. You know, like oh, all the responsibilities and all of this, and what if this, and what if that, and you know, what if they had? I don't know. It was so sad. I was oh like, no, gosh. being a grown up can be nice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> not all the parts. You know, there's a lot of pain, but there's oh, yeah. a lot of joy. So I like the little saying, like, no, don't grow up. It's a trap. It's a trap. Don't no. do it. Don't grow up. <laughs> so true. So tell me about the differences with your fiction from sort of the before and after from your own health scare or not even scare your health, you know, challenge. And how did you, how did you diagnose, how did you find out about your cancer? And then like in the whole craziness of the writing career, like how did you just slam on the brakes? Like what was that like when like everything was, must've been just swirling and going around you? It, it, it was traumatic and it was out of the blue. I was 39 and I actually had a break in my schedule between my third and I just finished my fourth book and I was set to go on tour with it. And I was uh, going to sign a new contract for, for a new book. I had a chunk of time in which I had scheduled my dentist appointment. I needed new glasses and I thought, well, I'm not going to have much time next year. So let's go ahead and schedule a mammogram. And lo and behold, I had a four inch tumor that was so deep in the tissue, I couldn't feel it and had spread to my lymph nodes in my lungs. I had no clue, no clue. And here I am 39 faced with this, wow, survival statistics are, am I going to live to 40? How, what's going to happen? And my world stopped my, and and it was the worst thing that's ever happened up until that point. 
but it also took me to a place in which after after treatment, after it was all done, I was in a much better place that I that I wouldn't have gotten to that place had cancer not happened. And I am not to the point where I can thank cancer for anything, but had I not gone through that journey, had I not learned what I learned, how if life had not made me stop, I believe I would still be as miserable as I was before it happened. It taught me a lot and it brought me to a better and brighter place. But I wish I wouldn't. I wish I had learned it another way. But the universe was saying to me, hey, Sarah, and, and it was probably trying to tell me that all along. It just, it was like, bam, it, I needed something big to teach me some lessons. Unfortunately, I had to learn it that way. But after after treatment and after I got back into writing, I was determined and I got the question a lot. Are you going to put cancer into your books? Or, you know, is it, are you going to write about your experience? And my answer was always no, because I write magical things. I write about happy endings and I couldn't make cancer good and magical. Mm -hmm. But lo and behold, when I finished this book, my first book after cancer was Lost Lake. What it was about was a character who had lost her husband and she was coming out of this, this deep, dark place in her life, but she was finding something bright on the other side. So in a way, I ended up writing about cancer and I didn't want to do it, but I wrote about a character who went through something similar. Oh my gosh. You talk, you've been talking a lot about sort of the misery that came with the success, which I find very interesting because everybody <laughs> assumes that success brings mostly joy. So was the sadness underneath something you had wrestled with forever, no matter what? Like, this, is this just sort of your baseline or was it something about the success that like triggered something new in you? You know, I think I, I, I think I am a, an anxious creature in general. I mean, I, I, I'm not a shy person, but I'm an introverted person. I keep my world very small deliberately because that's how I manage it. Mm -hmm. I don't like when I have a lot of things going around me. I don't like when I have a lot of things to do. So writing, you know, was a natural fit to me because I could be in my head, you know, where all the sparkles were. That's where I lived. And after Garden Spells was published and, 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 you know, after the success of that book, you know, having to travel and having to speak in public and, uh, and the intense pressure I felt to continue that, to write an, a book that people would like as much. It was, it, I was, I, I was miserable and it was, it was, and it wasn't the success and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the attention, it wasn't the fact that I, that something good had happened to me. It was my inability to deal with it. I, I, because I had never had to deal with it before I'd become used to it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I, I understand how to deal with, with those kind of pressures being an anxious introvert. Um, but back then I didn't because it happened so quickly. I thought, you know, I was going to, my goal was to be a working writer. It was to, you know, have a book published and maybe a few people would read it and it would be good enough that I could keep doing it. But I I didn't foresee that it would happen, that it, that it would blow up the way it did. So it was trial by fire. I learned a lot about how to manage my anxiety just from, from that. So how would you, like, let's say there's another author out there or they're about to have a book come out and they do have that temperament, which so many authors do have. Like, what, is there any advice for, for getting through that? Or is it just you figure it out on your own? Or like, what would you say to someone who's in your shoes now? Oh, wow. Um, I would say, uh, you know, it's what I would say to myself, but, you know, 
I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't have listened to myself. It was, you know, take time to enjoy the good, take a step back and look and put it in perspective, but also don't think that you have to give so much of yourself that you have to pretend to be this extroverted outgoing person because they liked your book. You want them to like you too. Just don't try to pretend to be someone else. Don't try to pretend that you're not scared to travel. If you're scared to travel, you know, if, if you if you have nerves in public speaking, oh my gosh, tell people that in your audience. They will understand. We are we are so connected as human beings that we all get it. You know, even if there's an if you're talking to an extrovert, they get it. Go easy on yourself. But honestly, what I've found is it's just with everything, it just takes time. From the from the deep to the from the to the detailed. Um, <laughs> you mentioned in the little like write up when we were booking this session that you uh, have a golden grams obsession. So <laughs> I want to hear I want to hear about all the food all the food stuff in your life because oh this is great. <laughs> I oh my gosh I, I'm a big. I'm I'm a big foodie. I'm a big eater. I, you know, I'm I'm not a very I don't have a very sophisticated palate, but I have always from, a, from from the time I was a child equated food with love. And so I've been an emotional eater all my life and the this golden grams thing, I don't know what it is for the past year I have just <laughs> devoured them and I don't put them in a bowl and eat them with a spoon and and milk. They they will sit there on the counter and I will, you know, I will graze on it all day and then I will blame people for eating them when the box is gone when it's all my fault. <laughs> But I love food. Food shows up in, in all my books. I think it's, um, and it's so closely connected to my mom. Food is love. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, an extension of affection when someone gives you food. I also like the magical aspects of food, like like water for chocolate explores yes, that. Yeah. Oh, I, I just, I, I can't not put it, it's in all my books as well, because it's so much a part of who I am. I am, I'm, when my when my mom got sick, I lost an incredible amount of weight very quickly, which is the only time in my life I have ever not eaten through something horrible. And so that was that was that was my huge clue that my my eating was so close to not tied to my mom. And you know, all these years after my mom, my mom and sister died three years ago, and so I and I've kept the weight off, and and it's because my whole habit changed because of you know going through those years of you know and coming out from that. I graze a lot and, but I, I don't, I don't overeat, but oh, sugar is my big downfall. I mean, I will, um, I have to resist that, especially when you're writing and you read and you, and you, you, you find you're in the middle of something that's, something's just not working. It's that urge to go get a candy bar or something sweet because your brain zings and it sort of opens up and makes you happy and, and, and it make, makes you want to you know, write something happy or so I have to resist that. But food has been a big part of my life all my life. Me too. I've realized that the only time I don't eat is if I'm really, really scared. Like it's not <gasps> grief. It's not, it, it's not stress. It's not, it's only fear. That's the, I feel like that will stop me. Now that's interesting. I never thought about that. Fear. Yeah. I wonder if it's something deep-seated primordial that, yeah. you know, we can't eat if we're on alert. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it'll be a distraction. I wonder if that's it, yeah. but that's an incredible observation. I'd never thought about that. Yeah. Wow. What, uh, if you could get your mom's dish, like something she made you today, like, is there one thing you would be like, oh, I would love to just have one oh more bite of this? Oh my 
see, and I am a horrible cook, so I don't cook. So I, you know, I, I and she didn't write anything down. I don't have any of her recipes, her potato salad. Oh my gosh. I wish I had her recipe for potato salad. She made it excellent potato salad. I wish I had that. She made something called a Russian vegetable pie that I miss. She was just, it was an extension of, of, you know, I love you. So here eat. She Mm -hmm. was like that all my life, but yeah, I, I miss that about, about her just, she would stop by on her way out or on her way home and she would just drop off food. Sometimes I'd be gone. It'd be food on my doorstep. She was like a little food fairy. So (laughs) it was her way of of showing love to not just me, but to everyone. It's classic Southern food pusher here. You (laughs) (laughs) So what, what is coming next for you after, after other birds? What's next? I'm working on my new book right now. It is uh, set in North Carolina and it, it's got, um, you know, all my books have, you know, all the different genres, just romance and magical realism and Southern fiction and foodie lit all, all mashed up. And this one's no different. It's, but it's set on in central North Carolina during the rainiest season on record. And there are lots of buried secrets that are uncovered in the mud. And so I'm having, I'm having some fun to just sort of finding my way through the book, through through the mud, as it were. But as difficult as writing is, the, it feels good to be back into, a, you know, the sense of normalcy. So I am glad to be writing again. That's wonderful. Oh my gosh. All right. So what's your plan today after we get off this podcast? What are you going to do? Oh my gosh. I had to go to the grocery store. <laughs> Um, I, for for a Christmas party, I've got to get stuff for a Christmas party. I've got to go feed my cats, and my niece is coming home for Christmas, so I'm very excited about that. Just boring stuff. <laughs> what about you? What does your day look like? You've probably much more interesting stuff happening today. Oh, you know, lots of meetings, lots of <laughs> podcasts. I have like four podcasts today, and a bunch of, my team is downstairs today. They come in a couple of days a week, and you know, my son does jujitsu today, and you know, my daughter has a play date, and you know, all of that stuff, <laughs> craziness, school pickups, and all of that. So yeah, life. It's interesting reading your book. You, I, I because you know I don't thrive in in a lot of things going on, but you do, don't you? It, it, it is, it's this idea of, of having a, a lot going on is where you find your zone. Is, is that true? That is, that is true. Yes. I know. It's weird. <laughs> no, I think it's, um, I, I, yeah, I think it's I, fascinating and wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I like having a lot of stuff going on. That makes me happy. <laughs> um, anytime I feel like, okay, I have things under control, then I add something new. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can manage everything on my plate. Time to open a bookstore. Like, let's do it. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like to be overwhelmed. I guess it's <laughs> you can read into that how you will. <laughs> well, it was so nice chatting with you, Sarah. I really appreciate you, like you know, just letting me into your interior life and letting me pry a little bit. So, and it's just been a joy just to see you and to be somebody watching someone else's beautiful shelves in the back. <laughs> I know it's perfect. It's perfect. um, I hope you have fun at the grocery and stock up on your golden grams and have a wonderful (laughs) holiday season. (laughs) Thank you, Zibby. I've had a blast. Thank you. You All right. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.